Talking 24. The health and information podcast from NHS 24. It's almost Christmas, a time for family and friends to come together. But for many people, it can also be a period of great sadness, emphasising their loneliness. For this month's Talking 24 podcast, Dr Laura Ryan is in conversation with Tony McLaren, who heads up our breathing space service. They discuss their own experiences of loneliness, the impact they can have on physical health, and how we can all help people around us who may be suffering. Hello and welcome to Talking 24, the monthly podcast from NHS 24. I'm Lisa Dransfield and um, this is where we talk about all things related to your health, your care and your well-being. It's where we try to raise awareness of, of subjects that we think might be of interest to you, things that have come up in the news and things that have been happening here at NHS 24. Today we're going to be talking about something which um, is very common but bizarrely doesn't actually get talked about quite as much as um, we think it, it should really. Um, the idea came about from a conversation with our medical director, Dr. Laura Ryan, and she joins us now. And also Tony McLaren, who is the national coordinator for the NHS 24 services, breathing space and living life. Um, Laura, um, you've been a GP for quite a long time. So the conversation that we had in the kitchen over a cup of coffee, making a cup of coffee, was born out of that experience. Do you want to explain what that was? Thanks, Lisa. Um, and I'm really grateful for the opportunity to discuss uh, this topic today, which is isolation and loneliness. Um, I've been a doctor for 20 years and it really strikes me how many people um, come to see health professionals or interact with uh, health services with physical conditions, but that there is often a real association either related to or unrelated to, but not helpful uh, in that they're very isolated and very lonely. Um, and I'd really like to do something about that. And NHS 24 is an organisation that cares, collaborates and connects people. And that could be to information or to each other. Um, and actually, mental health is everyone's business. It's everyone's business in NHS 24. Um, and uh, I know that my colleague, Tony, who will be coming in in a second, uh, deals with an awful lot of calls uh, relating to uh, mental health and well-being. And um, certainly as a GP, uh, it's something that I would like us to have a conversation about so that we can um, help people and help each other tackle social isolation and loneliness. You actually, when you mentioned it to me in the kitchen, you actually described it as a scourge. I did. Uh, and, and you said that it had, um, uh, it, its effects were across the piece. It's physical and mental well-being for individuals. Could you describe that for me? I do. What I see in my own professional life is people who may due to a condition, have been isolated. So they're in their house because they're breathless. And of course, that then becomes confounded. They lose confidence because they're in their house and they think, oh, I better not go out. I might fall over. And then they slowly, their social networks deteriorate and they're left very isolated. Soon, for some people, the only people that they interact with are health and care services. And I just find that personally heartbreaking. And maybe we have a role to highlight to people at diagnosis. You know, this is the kind of thing that could happen. Make sure that you stay in touch with people. You know, there are many ways to stay in touch with people. And, you know, that. but I, what I really want to bring out as well and what struck me after a recent shift is that there's nothing like human interaction, face to face, a human touch. All too much today, you know, people are staring at their phones or on the computer 
and they can get drawn into isolation. So I suppose this is about just making sure that we remain human and that we interact as humans and that we do everything in our part to look after people around us, but also as individuals think, what am I doing maybe that I could make this better for myself if that's in their gift? Tony, you've been a, a, a counsellor for 30 years. Have you seen things change in that time? And, and do you relate to what Laura's saying there about the, the human touch? Well, certainly I'd agree wholeheartedly with Laura and what she's intimating there. And, and for myself, working with, with clients both in the voluntary sector and within the NHS and in the private sector, that loneliness is very much part of people's distress. It adds another layer of complexity. Um, and adds that, that word isolation to their portfolio, as it were. I'm now really isolated. And there's something in working with, with clients about, about shame and about hiding, about not connecting, about that inability to speak to people with confidence because of low self-esteem, that feeling of nobody likes me, I'm not good enough, I don't have the right clothes to wear, my hair's not good, a variety of different reasons where their feelings of loneliness are compounded. If indeed you add to that unemployment, if you add to that the pressures of being a young person or indeed being an older person with no family members, the very fact that Laura and yourself and myself were able to talk to human beings on a daily basis because we're in a place of work, for many people, they don't actually talk. And if they're not talking they're not being listened to. And we know that the, the quality, almost the, described as a foundational stone of human existence, is to know that we are listened to and valued as a human being. It's almost like what makes us human, that we are people that are listened to by other people that we live beside or, or even over the phone. It sounds like it's something that spirals and can be sparked by something pretty simple. I completely agree with that. And, you know, I'm looking out a window here and there are many people outside and, you know, people can be lonely in a room. You can be lonely in a crowd. You can feel isolated in a crowd. I think the spiraling bit is very important because it's about having a pause and reflecting about that. And what can we do about people who feel isolated or lonely? What is it that I can do when I walk out that door and say to the first person who is outside the door, how are things for you today? That's a nice jumper. As Tony talks about random acts of kindness. Now, this might sound a little bit twee, but, you know, if I go out there and touch someone on the shoulder and say, "That's an, do you want me to get you a cup of coffee? That, you know, that might cheer them up. Laura Ryan made me a cup of coffee today. Now, that's not because I'm me. It's because it's another human being doing something nice for you. And that is a nice feeling. Let's admit it. When you experience kindness, it's a nice feeling and it may just stop a spiral downwards for that individual person. But there is no doubt about it. There are people out there. Tony has talked about the confounding issues that can add up the unemployment, the loneliness, maybe bereavement, Christmas coming up with all of the expectations that come around that that are additional and make people feel, feel loneliness. So I think this is something around prevention and early recognition and stepping in when we can to help people recognise that and do something about it. I mean, isn't it so interesting, Laura, we now have a, a UK minister for loneliness and it's almost like an indictment on our society that we need from that level someone who's taken responsibility for loneliness in the UK. 
But I would turn it on its head and say that each one of us, all our listeners to this podcast, have a responsibility in their own small world to make, or to look out for those occasions whereby we can interact with an individual. Now, my children call me weird, okay? Now, they call me weird because I say hello to an awful lot of people in the street when I don't even know them. And it embarrasses my wee girls a wee bit. I said, Dad, that's a bit weird. You just said hello to someone. Do you know them? It could be someone who, you know, a, a chap ages with me who's a big issue seller. Stop, say hello. That man might be quite isolated, might be quite alone. It's raining. Somebody's just saying hello to him. Maybe not even buying the big issue of him. Just saying hello. How's your day been? It was really busy today. It was pouring with rain. And that conversation is, is how societies work. That's, that's the building blocks of society that we're connecting. We're, work, we're not taking people's pain away a lot of the time because they're still left with their pain, aren't they? I mean, even if someone's attending your clinic, you know, they're, they're leaving the clinic. You've spoken, they've been really nice. So that doctor's really nice. What they mean by that, you're really kind, but they've still got their pain, but at least they've been heard and they've been listened to. And I think that's the value of our connection with the NHS, our connection in the voluntary sector, our connection with friends and family and the people that we don't know. There are various befriending services in Scotland, aren't they? Such as the um, the Good Morning Service, which is a, a telephone befriending service. If somebody wanted to, can, is it easy to volunteer for that kind of thing? I think with volunteering, people sometimes think it's just dead easy to go out and volunteer, but people have to be interviewed as well to be volunteers and they have to have the right frame of mind. My tip would be that if you want to do volunteer, go along and speak to the organisation. You know, maybe get pally with one of the other volunteers who can vouch for you you know, maybe show up and show that you're keen. Um, I think one of the key words for me in volunteering is that you have a passion for what it is you're volunteering for, that you have, it's almost vocational. So if you're working with a, a homeless charity, that you want to do that as a real fit for you, rather than working for a homeless charity saying, oh, what am I doing here? Because people will suss you out very, very quickly. And I do think that it can be a key for even people that are working and paid work to volunteer in some local charity or the local boys or girls football team, a netball club, the guides, whatever it may be. And I think it does give you a sense of connection to something outside yourself and outside your workplace. And here at NHS 24, we have a variety of people who volunteer in all sorts of different services. And it goes on unnoticed. You know, people are not talking about it all the time. So there's something about that ability to give back and that helps with your own resilience as well to make you a stronger individual and to make you feel that you are contributing in some way. I think the statistic in some of the documents was around 25% of the population volunteering in some form or other, which I think is really quite high. Yeah, it's a reciprocal nature of volunteering, isn't it? Like acts of kindness. Laura, I know you, you believe strongly that um, the, the recipient of an act of kindness benefits as much as the person who's being kind. Exactly. And it allows you to reflect on why are we here? And I know that's a very existential question, but those are important questions as well. And they're as important as how many steps did I walk today? You know, so I can see exactly the uh, where the conversation about volunteering is very valid. And for some people, that will be the choice they make. For each one of us as an individual, it might be that we make a decision, a personal commitment to ourselves and one other person that we come across in a day or a week to say, 
that I haven't seen you for a while. Do you have time for a two minute chat or that's a really nice dress you're wearing? Just a conversation opener. That means that we're interested in listening to you and recognizing that you're in my world. Um, And uh, it's all of our responsibility. There may well be a minister, but, you know, I certainly believe it's our responsibility as individuals. It's my responsibility as a doctor and the medical director in NHS 24, where I have a voice like Tony to raise you know, the interest in something that really is, in my mind, a scourge in our society, and that's loneliness and isolation. We'll hear now from somebody who um, has suffered from real life issues um, around loneliness, uh, Albert. Um, his loneliness came about from, well, he, he describes three main reasons, health problems, uh, a relationship breakdown, which then resulted in homelessness. And he was helped eventually by the telephone befriending service, the Good Morning Service. I was a workaholic, I worked home all my days, seven days a week, 26 years at security. Come home one day and the wife just out of the blue asked me to leave and I ended up uh, in a hostel, homeless. My first day in the hostel, I found a young uh, boy's body in the toilet, 21 year old. And as time went on, I was about a month in there my depression and that was kicking in. I was attending hospital for various surgeries. No? All that was taking its toll and bringing me down and all. No? And uh, so I say, you get your good days and your bad days. No? And uh, the lonely, when it kicks in, the, de- the depression kicks in and the way it hits me, I just feel as if, uh, if this is life, I don't want it. I was really bad this day. I had enough courage to go to my GP. Some told me, no, to get help and no be ashamed to ask for it. No? And my GP, she was so caring. She gave me a phone number, which was for good morning. And they, they've been there for me every, ever since. They phoned me every morning to make sure I'm okay. And that, that phone call is, is a lifesaver. No? Mm. I try and keep more positive now, you know. I, I get a kick, a sort of recharge out of helping others, you know. I feel that helps me, you know. That's helped me big time, you know. And as I've said to Good Morning and that before, if there's anybody in the same boat, pass my phone number on. I'll talk through the night, anything at all. If I can help others, eh, because I've been there, I've been doing that road. And the old saying is, I've wore the T-shirt. No, no. Albert talking about his own personal experience of loneliness. But Tony and Laura, you, you've both experienced it at different points, haven't you, in different, different ways? Yes, uh, very, very much so. I remember as a young man of uh, 31 years of age, I had a bad car accident and the car went off the road. And it's all a, a wee bit surreal uh, in my mind. But certainly... Um, I remember that time of pain, of waiting in an ambulance, and police, of going to the Western General in Oban, I think it was at the time, and spending around just short of two weeks in, in hospital with fantastic NHS staff, I must say, looking after me. Um, and visitors coming, although it was Oban and my dad was working and things like this, so it was hard for him to get up and things. Um, and then, then going back home uh, in a wheelchair uh, with a big bag of medication and thinking, well, I wonder how life's going to be. But in my flat, I was just unable to live in my own. So I went back to stay with my parents. 
And that was quite difficult. And I left a whole network. I was working in a secondary school at the time. And I had to leave that whole network because I wasn't physically able uh, to, to do my duties, as it were. And for a period of nine months, I uh, was in rehab uh, with my, my, my legs and my chest. Um, I always remember the nurse in the, the hospital pulling out the st- stitches from my head and making me laugh. And I always thought, sort of, what did they thank him for that? Because he was real, a real good guy. But something about that loneliness over those nine months, it was like not being able to drive, not being able to go anywhere, relying on other people to take you from A to B. Um, you know, we never had mobile phones in those days. It's a long time ago. I'm an old man. So it was a bit where it just felt there was no control. Uh, and I did feel kind of rotten because I'd left my job then, you know, and I just felt I had no, no control over what I was going to do. And I didn't know what I was going to do next. And my mum and dad were being so nice to me, but I wanted to tell them to go away. All that kind of stuff. So feeling quite lonely in that period of time. It's kind of understandable how it, it, what obviously was a, a serious accident can um, result in, in, in feelings of anxiety and loneliness and so on. But Laura, your experience was kind of the flip side of that because you were a young woman, your career was taking off, you've got this fantastic job over here in Scotland, but then you found yourself lonely. Yeah, and just listening to Tony, I've been reflecting on my experience and actually I got a little tear in my eye because... It's not something I've thought about a lot since it happened. But, you know, I came to Scotland. I packed up my car and came over with my dad, with whom I have a very close relationship, clutching onto each other in a hotel room in Melrose. And the next thing I was on my own, you know, no family, no friends, a new job and a new system. I hadn't worked in the NHS before. And, and when I went home in the evenings, it was to a bedroom on my own. And that lasted for about three months. Um. You know, I, I read a bit, I phoned home, I, you know, I went to the gym and things. But I do remember feeling I feel different. And actually, the one moment that it kind of came right for me was I think I was having maybe a little tear in a back room on a ward. And one of the nurses came in and said, are you OK? It's just the small things, isn't it? Both your experiences are very different. We'll hear now from Shirley. Um, Shirley's from Springburn and she too has suffered loneliness and been helped by the Good Morning Service. I get used to it, being on my own Christmas Day. Nobody likes to be on their own at Christmas Day, but it's hard to put it into words. But these things happen. I still say these things happen to me for a reason. I can't complain. Everything that's happened to me has helped me later on. <laughs> Good morning service because you go on the phone in the morning well they go on the phone you in the morning and you always get a wee smile now you feel as though there's a smile on your face a happy go lucky bunch of folk and it's, it's great it warms your heart now when you get them to phone you and nothing's too much if there's, you're needing help they can put you in touch with somebody. Now they can help you, so you're not really stuck. Now they'll go out their way to help you. It's, I must admit, it's the best thing. And as I say, I call them my guardian angels. And I keep saying it to them. I think they're getting fed up with me saying it now. But they have, they've got, they've helped me along the road. 
you can talk about them and nothing's too... You could be on the phone for about 15 minutes talking to them and nothing's too much of a hurry. They don't turn and say, oh, I'll let you go now. No. But they, they really are. Every, every one of them. No, it's been great. Beyond volunteering and, and, and beyond those small acts of kindness, people sometimes do need solid services, NHS-provided services. Um, is the GP the first port of call for people in, in that situation where they do need more help? I think in, in this, the answer to that question, Lisa, is for many people, in reality, it's the choice they make, okay? That might be because the, the, the presence of other services is not known to them, okay? So there's a very broad range of places people can look, read, phone, web chat, and interact even with other people who feel like they do in blogs. I mean, blogs are a very powerful source of, you know, support for people. But going back to the GP, these are people that are kind and interested in their patients. But really, you know, there might be better places for people to um, search and consider. And I, I'll hand over to Tony now because this is part of Tony's everyday existence. Yeah, I think um, I would concur with everything you say there and, and even that whole existential uh, thing you touched on there around Patients and clients sort of come and say, what's the point? They get to that place of not knowing why I actually exist on this planet. So it's how people are kind of plug in again to the, to the whole existential notion of, yes, I'm important. I have a place in this world. Now, when it comes to uh, the, the GP has been the first protocol, maybe people will do that. But as, as Laura rightly says, with um, there's all sorts of variety of different places that people can go. The whole social prescribing agenda has, has, has taken off really quite considerably around the country, but it's patchy. And for your listeners to know, it is patchy. Uh, so a, a GP may well be able to prescribe you gym membership uh, or to a running club or to a bibliotherapist to the library. But that's patchy in particular parts of Scotland today. And we would hope as a, the best small nation in the world, almost like just to to kind of make that more rounded. So if you're in Oban or Perth or Aberdeen, you're getting the same service from your GP. And the GP feels that in his or her toolkit, they can pick out the similar resources as available in maybe the East End of Glasgow or East End of Edinburgh. So that, that variety of resource is person-centred insofar as we can tailor that so that it's not just about antidepressant medication. Now, that may well be really helpful for someone, but it's antidepressant medication alongside a talking therapy, alongside a gym membership, alongside referral to a, a cooking class or whatever. And I think that it's almost that, that world that I would see that it's not just one size fits all. And that helps the GPs. It helps us as human beings when we're looking, how do I get help here? The self-help as well is so keen uh, that, you know, there's, there's a variety of different things we can do, but very often people need the motivation. And if you're lonely and isolated, your, your motivation levels are maybe quite low. And particularly if you've been diagnosed as being depressed, it's very, very difficult to, to, to make that first step. You know, that way we all know, or your listeners know, when it, it's just so difficult to get yourself out of bed, to get yourself dressed, to get yourself showered, that we might think, oh, well, that's easy. Well, it's not. And it's for how we actually empathise with people. Some of your listeners may know people who are very isolated, very depressed. It can be very difficult work sitting alongside someone who's really, really struggling. 
In the run-up to Christmas and the New Year holidays then, it can be particularly difficult. Is, is there one message that you would like to share with people in, in, this, in this time? Lots of people rushing around getting ready for, for family, family holidays and family time, but for some people it can only exacerbate the, the feelings that we've described, can't it? Yeah, I think the modern messages around Christmas are quite materialistic and they are quite wrongly idealistic in some frames. I think if I could ask people when they're thinking about Christmas this year to remember it's not the same for everybody and for other people, it will just be another day and that won't be a very nice day. So Tony will come back to talking about what people can do. But what I'm saying to is everyone else out there who has a nice life and who is happy is just to look around and this Christmas connect with someone and say, how are you today? I'm finding that quite emotional, even just listening to that, Laura, because it's very, very difficult, isn't it? It's, it's a real challenge we're putting out in the podcast. And there's a bit where other tips, which may well have some value, may well not have value, but certainly uh, sleeping, making sure that people are getting the sleep that they need, making sure that people are eating appropriately and regularly. And can I say, and I keep on saying this all the time, keep moving. If it's walking around the block, even if you're lonely, just getting the idea of getting up, pair of shoes on, jack on and getting out and moving. Not doing a marathon, just moving. Um, I think as well to slow down and think that if there is a difficulty, it's not going to change overnight. This, is, this has got a long tail to it, this. And I suppose my end tip would be around talking about it. Find someone that we can talk about it. And that may well be online. It's not to negate everything online at all as being bad. It may well be there are support groups and other people we can speak to online, which is a precursor for getting out there. And I don't think anything beats face-to-face. Speak to someone. It doesn't have to be a professional counsellor, but someone that we know we can trust. I think it was um, St Thomas Aquinas back in the Middle Ages who spoke of you. You're a very, very lucky person if you can count in one hand the number of close friends you have in your lifetime. So we know it's very difficult to get that, that trust and that love and that relationship that helps you to move to the next stage. If anybody does need help, we do have a service called Breathing Space provided by NHS 24 and the telephone number is 0800 8587. And there is a website as well, um, lots of information on there, lots of help. And the address for that website is www.breathingspace.scot. So loneliness, it's not just something that other people um, suffer from. It's something that we all have the potential to, to suffer. And it's something that we should all take ownership of. Tony, Laura, thank you for talking 24.